0: My name is Dr. Ramsey Zalcade, and I've beaten the often path by creating seamless brain-computer interfaces.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. This is the podcast where we showcase unusual stories to help us think about our life and our life's work from a broader perspective. I've often said that the old models of doing things just don't work anymore and we also need to find a bigger why, a better reason for doing what we do than just making money. Now, my guest today is Dr. Ramses Alcade, co-founder and CEO of Nurable, a company creating wearable brain control interfaces. Their flagship product at the moment is a pair of headphones that can respond to your brainwaves just by wearing them as normal, but of course they're developing software and a number of other hardware things that are super exciting, more than we can possibly fit into this brief introduction. Suffice it to say, Few people out there are as on the bleeding edge of what's to come as Dr. So today we talk about how he was able to build his company, follow his lifelong passion, find and cultivate his why and his team, and shape the future of human technology as we know it. There are so many profound implications from today's interview that I hope you'll really enjoy and appreciate as much as I did. I loved our chat and I can't wait for you to meet Dr. Ramsey's Alcade of nurable. That is already a deeply fascinating subject for me. I feel like this is going to be an episode of Black Mirror, so I'm extremely <laughs> excited to talk about this.
0: <laughs> Brain imagine, Interfaces. imagine that, but without the creepiness. Without that's, the creepiness.
1: Okay. Yeah. So brain control interfaces, or BCI for short. <laughs> After this interview, are we all going to say BCI in our regular speech from now on?
0: I hope so. You know, it's going to go so viral, everyone's going to just know the word, right? It's going to be like virtual it. reality VR is now, right?
1: I'm just going to start saying BCI everywhere, just because I want to start <laughs> feeling like I'm part of the new movement. Um, so tell us, what is it that you're up to? Tell us about your company, your story. What in general are you working on?
0: Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'll start with my story. You know, I've, uh, I've been passionate about brain computer interfaces since I was about eight years old. My no. uncle actually got into a trucking accident and lost both his legs. So it was a really traumatic moment for me as, as a child. But it really focused my life toward how do we create technology that allows people to participate equally. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so studied uh, electrical engineering uh, and control systems mainly focused on prosthetic control systems in, in undergrad. Got my PhD at the University of, of Michigan. And that's really where the first innovation comes in. It's a signal processing pipeline, which is a fancy way of saying that we take the signal that we collect from your brain and we we make it easier to interpret. Uh, and then from there, our main quest has been how do we create a seamless system? And what we mean by seamless is right now, if you were to go to a lab or or other types of systems they're, they're either these giant like net based systems with gel everywhere yeah, I've too, seen those
1: yeah
0: or they're these like consumer headbands that just don't work right mm, okay uh, and so how do we bring that level of of uh, capability that you typically see in a laboratory into an everyday system and leveraging that IP that we we created at the University of Michigan and, and building up on it over the last 10 years we've been able to get to just that essentially so these are this this is our, our kind of first flagship uh, product here. It's a pair of headphones that have these little silver uh, lines right here that record your brain activity around the ear. So they just look like a beautiful pair of headphones, Can't but they confirm. give you a lot of the same ability that, that we actually work with in, in laboratory settings.
1: So, for those who are just listening, he's holding up a pair of headphones that look every bit as stylish as something from Bose or any other headphone manufacturer. So, you mean to tell me that through my ears alone, what exactly is that connecting to? Because there's little bands on the cups. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how. the bands
0: are, are basically conductive electrodes. Uh, there's, there's this area right behind your ear where mm-hmm. there's no hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can actually pick up brain activity from that area. Through a lot of work, um, a lot of data collection, and, and really the key to it is we need to collect enough data to make it easier and easier to understand these signals. Yeah. We've been able to maintain the same capability in our predictions uh, while having less signal to work with. That's and that's a, a lot incredible. of complicated... No, we'll
1: dive into this. This is awesome. So I think we're about the same age. Um, I'm 35, and I think I read that... Are you 35 now? Or Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. we're the same age. So you said you were interested in this when you were nine years old. Does that mean that you watched The Matrix? Or what, what does it mean for a nine-year-old to be interested in this? How did you get interested in this?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was when I was eight, and it was one of these things where, you know, my uncle had just gotten uh, had just lost his legs and he was at, uh, he was in, in Kent, Washington, um, living with my families. So he was getting his prosthetics done at the university of Washington. Yeah. And I remember I, you know, I was, was, a I was a really passionate kid and I was looking everywhere to see how I could help my uncle. Cause he, he was, he was a hero to me. He was an engineer as well too, you know, even till this day, he actually replaces and fixes his own prosthetics uh which is like such a badass thing to say right definitely and so he was always that kind of inventor uh, an incredible person and so i remember i ran into an article of i believe like it was either wired or, or science or something like that uh and you know when you're a kid at that level you're not reading journal articles you're learning you're reading kind of these like higher magazines right yeah um and i was like this this article was about like how the brain could be used potentially in the future to control devices. And I was like, wow, like, that's what I want to do. That's yeah. what I want to do. And I, like my dream is to have my uncle one day use a technology I build or how do we even just like have this be, for example, the next mouse that people use, you know, a computer mouse essentially. Yeah. Uh, and so that, yeah. that got my dreams going, my excitement going and, and, you know, everything kind of built off of that momentum.
1: That's incredible. When I was nine years old, I was only worried about trying to do a backflip off the monkey bars. (laughs) So much of my life has been wasted, I'm now keenly aware. Uh, (laughs) That's incredible. What a noble reason to get into this. Um, So, all right. So you've developed this passion. You set your North Star there. Mm -hmm. And how did that start developing as your life unfolded?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, when when you're a kid, you don't really know what to do. You just know I don't know, like one of my mentors once told me, if you don't know what to do, just keep running. Just run as hard as you can. <laughs> that's, that's my eventually, method. <laughs> you'll find something, right? Right. <laughs> like, you'll hit a wall so, eventually or something. Exactly. So I just kind of kept running, uh, you know, and, and I ended up going to the University of Washington and actually working with some of the prosthetic teams there that worked with my uncle, which I thought was like such an incredible thing. And there was this huge disconnect between the actual brain and the prosthetic systems. All the control modalities for, for controlling these systems were not brain-based, didn't really use muscle. There had been a, a, a period in time in the past where they were trying to use muscle, but it didn't work out very well. Mm. And as I saw this gap in, in really understanding the brain data and what we could do there, that's when I said, like, I really need to get into neuroscience. I need to work with some of the brightest minds. And uh, I did a survey of, of the people that uh, I thought we we're working on some of the most cutting edge research and and I found two professors and they both turned out to be at the university of Michigan. And I was like, wow, this is like, <laughs> this is perfect.
1: That's great. Uh, one great. of them
0: worked on ambulatory brain computer interfaces. So brain computer interfaces you can use while walking, which super important if you're going to be, you know, using a prosthetic leg, for example. Uh, and then the other one worked on translational brain computer interfaces. So she was the first one to make a plug and play. Brain computer interface. So essentially, you plugged it into a computer and it recognized it as a keyboard, which is so cool. That is amazing. Uh, And the first one to integrate augmented reality into with brain computer interfaces. And I was like, wow, I need to work with these people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I applied to every single department that I could at the University of Michigan. I was like, I don't care where I get in, I just need to work with these people. Yeah. Uh, And it turned out that, uh, you know, slowly more and more of the pathway became clear.
1: Neurotechnology can read your brain. Imagine a future where, without words, you can control Spotify. You can say things like, Spotify, play more dubstep, please. Well, not literally, like this commercial because this is a radio commercial and we have to speak to convey a message in a radio commercial, but in the real world, the device would require no speaking at all since your brain is just directly communicating with the technology. But that is like really hard to put into a radio commercial. You know, on second thought, why don't we just show you? Do you have a minute to visit a website? No, not now. You're driving. Oh, okay, okay, well, ah, shit. Our marketing team really should have thought this one through. Uh, Introducing Brainiac from RP Corporation Global. Control your shit. Do you ever feel like you should have done a more lucrative study, like uh, comparative (laughs) literature (laughs) or philosophy? Neuroscience. You know, sometimes
0: sometimes I I talk to other entrepreneurs that, like, uh, for example, created, like, pay apps or something, you know, and, like, they they're they're millionaires or billionaires at this point and i'm just like maybe i should have done that first and then <laughs> yeah, just I get, to, this. get into fintech
1: first up. and then then worry about a mission. well i'm glad you didn't that would be a lot more boring i wouldn't be talking to you if that's what you did for better or for worse but so you, you started as many people do by getting in with you saw some exciting people and you just said i want to be a part of that so you start working there um
0: mm-hmm.
1: what happened then
0: yeah, uh, you know, I started working with Dr. Jane Huggins' lab uh, directly after my uh, third year in graduate school, and we were working on ways to help children who had cerebral palsy. Um, you know, these these kids, for example, they had to sit on a chair, and in the past, at least, they used to take about thirty minutes to set up these systems on their head. So just imagine, you're eight years old. Somebody puts this like cap on you and puts gel into it. No. Like, how awful of that experience Horrible. is, right? And then like, and then you're supposed to respond to these test questions. And sometimes it would take like two to three minutes to get a good response from them. It was like, dude, you're eight years old. Do you really want to say yes or no over like a three to five minute period? No. Right. Like, and so of course these kids wouldn't cooperate. And it was just like a really difficult thing, but here's the difficulty. If they didn't cooperate, then they couldn't take these tests. And if they couldn't take these tests, then they wouldn't get physical therapy. Because, you know, these tests were meant to understand whether they had the cognitive capability of, uh, of benefiting from that physical therapy.
1: Interesting. But if they
0: don't get physical therapy, then they can't move as well. And then they're not able to respond to the test manually. So you can see how, like, it just creates this loop of an issue. You know? yes. And I'll tell you a quick story. There was this one um, um, kid that uh, we were working with, and it wasn't until he was 15 that they realized he was actually fully cognitively capable, hmm. right? Um, but now he had missed all the developmental milestones that a a child goes through through development. And so there was no way to make him a functional member of society. Um, And so how many of these children are we missing out on their potential because we're not able to understand them, right? Uh, And so that was the emphasis, like how do we create a a way to boost signal of brain activity that we already know how it looks like? Uh, And through taking that, you know, different perspective it allowed us to develop this signal processing system that we've been building the rest of the company off of
1: that is incredible and i completely understand what you mean about that negative feedback loop that's awful and (laughs) something that like so many of these things you never think about but then when you do you think that's awful (laughs) that's yeah right isn't that
0: crazy like just yeah how many kids
1: yeah do you have an estimate of how many kids do you have any concept You know, there's,
0: it's obviously not a perfect estimate, you know, uh, but there was this great uh, article by Wachowski at uh, actually University of Michigan, where he, where he estimated that at least half of the children who have um, cerebral palsy to the point that they're not able to respond physically actually have no cognitive issues. Uh, And so that, that shows you that like, wow, we're really missing out on a lot of potential there. You know, a lot of these kids who you know, imagine going up and you can't communicate well and so you're just trapped in your body. Uh, and you know, like we're we're missing out on a lot of these incredible individuals. And so that's you know, that was kind of, that was a motivation of what the lab essentially did.
1: That makes so much sense. And for our listeners, Wachowski is also the creator of the Matrix. So I knew it came <gasps> back. Full circle. <laughs> That's a real nerdy joke right there. <laughs> different Wachowski. Different, 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 different one. Okay, different all right, one. all right. Just, just trying to connect the dots here. Okay, so <laughs> uh, two, 2015, you're developing a brain-computer interface, a BCI, as we are now very mm-hmm. comfortable saying. Um, what did the first prototype look like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and basically, it looked like a giant gel cap. It was really gross. I can actually show you a picture if you want to see it. Sure. Yeah. Send it.
1: We'll, we'll put it up on the screen when we do the video edit. Um, cool, cool. Did it look like yeah, the traditional ones, the net and gel? Was it basically the same yeah, concept? Okay.
0: It was a net and gel. Um, and then that's when we realized that we were getting a significant performance boost from this new technique we were applying. And that made us feel confident to say, what if we tried this with dry electrodes? So without using gel, uh, and it was a risky step because you lose signal in that process. Mm. Uh, but we went to dry electrodes and we, you know, through more data collection and improvements in the system, we were able to retain the same signal predict- predictability. So the signal that comes in might be noisier, but the way that our, our machine le- learning system predicts what the person wants on the screen uh, for, for the quest test question was the same. And so that's really what matters at the end of the day to the person, right? Mm -hmm. The person doesn't care. You know, think about, for example, your Fitbit or your, or your other devices. You don't really care how the signal looks like. You just want to make sure that it tracks your steps, right? Like we're on Zoom.
1: I have a nice microphone. You're coming at me from across the U.S. It doesn't really matter that your audio isn't perfect. I can still understand what you're saying. Is that Exactly. exactly, And how the microphone
0: processes the audio doesn't matter, Right, right? Right. It's just like, can it? Does it come through your headphones? And does it make sense? Can I hear? Like, yes. It. Yep. Uh, so we went to dry electrodes, and and that was in 2015. And we we're like, wow, like we have something here. What if we could? You know, there, there's been so much talk, and there's so much potential in you know about how brain-computer interfaces could one day change the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Imagine texting with your headphones, or you know understanding your cognitive health over long periods of time, right? Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of like value propositions that people discuss when they talk about brain computer interfaces. Right. Um, but the main issue is these consumer systems don't work very well, right? Cause they have limited sensors. They're not very good quality, et cetera. So what if we could just use the signal processing pipeline to boost up some of those signals? What could we achieve? And so in 2015, we spun the company out from the university of, of Michigan Um, and we started Neurable and that's where the company really began. 2015. Okay. Neurable. That's where
1: it began. That's so, so, so (laughs) cool. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you can potentially do and the ramifications. There's a few more things I want to talk about how you founded your business, but, um, we type all day, especially computer people, especially now. A lot of the world is discovering what remote work means. It means a lot of this, a lot of typing, typing, mm-hmm. typing. If you do anything digital, as I do or anybody does, you're typing all day long. If you're good at typing, you type 100 words per minute. If you're bad at it, 30, something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So much of
1: how we interact with our computers is limited by by this, by these little things. Yeah, right. Um, which, <laughs> if your brain is working faster than your hands, is... a terrible things. So how would this work theoretically in a way that isn't absolutely terrifying and I'm not getting spam in my brain that's asking me to buy Viagra directly behind my eyeballs? (laughs) Like, how do
0: we do this in the right way? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really great question. So uh, I think that one of the key things to understand is at least non-invasively, so that means without surgery, uh, we can't do that. Like, we can't, you know, we're never going to be able to beat your keyboard with typing. Right. Um, and we're, but at the same time, it means that we'll never be able to put Viagra messages <laughs> on the back of your eyes. Right. Right. Like that, that is going to require something that requires surgery. Right. Uh, and so, and that's really important for us because it means that people have the ability to customize their privacy. Right. You could always just take it off and then, I, you know, live the world that you live in right now. Uh, and so, and so a lot of that, and, and, and how do you do it right? Well, you, you make it easy to turn off, right? You give the, the, the customer ownership to the data. You make sure that you ask for their permissions if and how you're going to use it. And and the powerful thing about the brain is that the more you let us use your brain activity, the better we can customize the experience for you because every brain is, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to get this software to a point where It works good enough, even if you don't want to share your data. Uh, And that's, those are all kind of like burdens that we of the company have overtaken. We've said, okay, we're going to have to make our stuff better to make sure that uh, even if you don't want to share your data, you're still going to have a great experience. Because one of the big issues with uh, neurotech or actually a lot of tech that exists right now is that uh, by not sharing your data, sometimes they won't let you onto the platform. And if they, you're not on the platform, then you're actually missing out on a lot of aspects of life. I mean, just it, this is just the beginning of, of what we're seeing. But imagine like Facebook, right? If you're not on Facebook, you're not going to get Facebook invites, right? right. Like event invites. Then that's just how people use it. Imagine not having an email, right? Like how much of the world is cut off to you? So how do you create a world where people have access to the technology? Uh, and accessibility is a really key word here at the company. Uh, and we mean it holistically, not just, you know, for people who are differently abled, but like access to the tech, make sure that it's low priced, etc. Mm-hmm. How do you give access to an individual uh, without them needing to feel uncomfortable with anything that they're doing? Makes um, sense. Yeah.
1: Is this different? So obviously Elon Musk is famously investing in these types of things. Yeah, I think Neuralink <laughs> is what he's doing. Is, is that different? Is that something that does require surgery?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Neuralink does require surgery. And, you know, the way that we kind of see Neuralink uh, versus like what we're doing at Neurable is the difference between getting a prosthetic leg and getting a pair of shoes. You know, right. they're both right. useful. You need a pair of shoes. Imagine your life if you didn't have shoes. Be, it'd be an awful experience, right? Yes. Um, yes. You know, you'd step on glass, all this other stuff would go on, et cetera. But you only get a prosthetic leg if something... Went wrong, right? You got, you know, in the case of my uncle, he got into a car accident, right? Um, And so when it comes to risk and reward, you know, you're going to want a device like Neuralink if you are a locked in patient and you can't communicate at all, or, you know, you're a quadriplegic and you need to control your exoskeleton, right? And so for that area, you're going to take the risk of potentially dying to get this chip put inside you that, you know, eventually degrades and there's other issues on, on top of it. But for the normal everyday person, If you want to send a message with your headphones or if you want to understand your cognitive health like a Fitbit, but for your brain, that's where you're going to use these everyday wearables uh, like the ones that we're working with.
1: That's fantastic. And I think you said that it can't replace the keyboard. Uh, Was that
0: true? Why is that? Well, it won't replace your keyboard. Keyboard from the perspective of speed, right? Um, Interesting. Right now, okay. non-invasively, even with these like large laboratory systems, there just isn't enough uh, input that we're getting from the brain to to replace it completely. Now, what we can do is we can let you have very simple commands within applications right now. So imagine that you're you're on Spotify and you wanted to say play, pause, forward. We can let you control your technology that way. So you can imagine how your earbuds or headphones could replace your phone in the future, right? Uh Or click through items. And so our perspective is not, we're not here to replace the keyboard. The keyboard has a place and will always have a place, which is for you to directly send in text, do whatever you need to do. But for your everyday use case, where in the future you may just have your AR glasses or a pair of AirPods that you walk around during the day and do your thing, we could replace we could be the mouse and keyboard for that. And the best example of that is the touchscreen. The touchscreen didn't replace the keyboard, right? You still need the keyboard for that high input work, right? Yes. But for your everyday use case, the touchscreen right now, even though it's less fast, um, it still provides you a mobile way of, of interacting with your technology. And So as computers become smaller and smaller, so they go from phones to headphones, to earbuds, to glasses, you um, you need a control modality that works with that as well too, and that's where brain-computer interfaces come in.
1: So, what do I consciously think to play the next song in Spotify? How, what do I do in my brain to make that happen?
0: Well, unfortunately, I can't go into that yet because we're going to be doing a, a big reveal on it. Okay, but it's 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 just as simple as using Siri, but without having to essentially say anything out loud, <laughs> which is really cool because your your brain, as you actually. You know, think or do these commands. Yeah. It start, It activates your entire self, um, and and we're able to pick that up in 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 secondary ways and use that as control modality.
1: I hope that our listeners and viewers appreciate the ridiculousness of what you just said because I I am <laughs> trying to wrap my head around it and I'm also trying to reconcile it with the idea that there's that statistic that men think about sex. What is it? Seven times a minute or something like that on average. Right. So uh, how do we filter out all of that noise?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, you know, luckily your brain is very good at deciding what's going to happen volitionally or that you actually want to happen versus not want to happen. And so we can look at those types of signals and decide whether you're just thinking about the word or you're actually wanting to communicate it outwardly. Uh, And so that's actually something that's already been well understood in the field uh, for quite some time. Um, And so, you know, we don't have to worry about uh, people doing all these crazy things, thankfully. Um, and so we're, we're good there, we're good there.
1: That's, that's good. But it's such an interesting concept to think about what steps would I take? Because if I wanna type something, then a process initiates, my hands come out, my arms go out, my hands go down, and I start typing. How do I do what you said volitionally without actually doing it? I wouldn't know how to separate, I wouldn't know how to like convince my body that I actually mean to say something without actually saying it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I guess the best way of describing it neuroscientifically is, you know, you think about grabbing a glass of water. Even if there's a glass of water in front of you, you don't necessarily grab it, right? Grabbing it requires uh, active, like a larger set of activations, uh, both on the musculature, but then also, you know, your motor cortex, et cetera. Uh, and so it's a very different pathway than it is just thinking about it. It, it. it activates some of the same pathway, but there's significant differences as well, too. What, what I think is really interesting, though, and, and something I do want to highlight is that, you know, brain-computer interfaces are going to come into the everyday world in a very specific set of, of directions, right? Um, and and so, you know, as much as I like to get people excited about the communicating with your mind Uh, You know, I think that we also need to take a very uh, open look at some of the other value propositions that they can provide. And and I'll kind of just share with you the pathway that I foresee brain-computer interfaces becoming mainstream. Right. So right now, millions of hearables are being sold every single day. Hearables being earbuds, headphones, et cetera. And just like Bluetooth is in every one of those headphones, I believe that neurotechnology is going to be in every one of those devices in the near future. And, and it's going to start out primarily because right now headphones are used for listening to music, right. Or listening to content. The next step is to use them for health, right. Around your, around your, and health, I mean like wellness, not necessarily like medical health. Right. But uh, you know, for example, right now, we have a system that enables us to understand um, how productive you're being during that hour, how you know, you can get a receipt of, of how impactful your, all those Slack notifications are uh, that you get. And, and just imagine what types of changes you could do if you understood how much you're distracted during the day or some tool that lets you get into focus faster, right? Hmm. And so I see wellness being the first step in, in that direction. And then beyond that is now that we're putting in so much cash and money and evolution into hearables and we're putting computers in there, then they become control devices, right? So that's going to be step three, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yes. Right now we have hearing devices, then they're going to be wellness devices, and then they're going to be compute devices. And then finally, when augmented reality comes about, we're going to be looking for the mouse and keyboard of AR that is an everyday form factor. Uh, and people don't want to strap extra controllers to their hands or do any other, you know, you don't want to carry a remote with you. You want to put on your glasses and then that's it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so that's where brain-computer interfaces will will evolve to. Uh, and it's something that's inevitable. It's already happening. Um, but, you know, it's important to understand that entire value proposition and the control. Like, nobody needs a new way to click on a button right now. Yeah. But yeah. people do need a way to understand themselves better uh, and make better decisions about their lifestyle, especially as people are working from home. Yeah. You know, hybrid work is happening a lot more, et cetera.
1: All right, folks, we're going to take a little break from the action here, and we're going to do a little bit of a plug, as we always do, For my supplement line, no, I'm just kidding. Not supplements, but I do want you to remember that it takes effort to put this show together, to find these people, to bring these stories to you. I love doing it. I love meeting all these people, but I would really appreciate it if you would help support the growth of this podcast by sharing this episode with somebody who might want to hear it, by liking it, by commenting, by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Do whatever you can to help grow this podcast, and I will be eternally grateful. So that's it, tiny little thing. Let's get back to Dr. Ramsey's Alcade of Nurable. Well, I saw on your website that one of the value props that you have is that your brain can tell you when you're tired or when it's tired. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And I'm afraid that if I wore it, that mine
0: would just say your brain is
1: tired 100% of all the day. <laughs> it's
0: like, dee-dee, dee-dee, dee-dee. Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And, and I completely agree. Sometimes I think my brain would say that too. It's
1: so. like, <laughs> never stop beeping at me.
0: So we did this study uh, with Dr. Ali Youssefi when he was at Harvard. He had found out, he had created essentially a model for predicting a person's reaction time based off of brain data, which is like such a cool thing to even say, which is like, I know how well you're going to react to, you know, this test or this reaction time task before you even know, right? And. And reaction time is tied directly to attention. So the more attentive you are, the better your reaction time is going to be, right? right. Uh, and so he did this invasively, surgically, and we repeated the study um, non-invasively. And since then, he's joined our team. Like the project went really well. We're really happy with it. But um, basically what we can do is we can say, how is this person's reaction time changing each hour, Right. And then if your reaction time is starting to get worse and worse and worse, then we know that very soon you're going to make an accident. You know, you're going, your, your reaction time is going to be so low that the next time you do an action, uh, it's going to, you're not going to fix the problem or you're not going to be able to deal with it fast enough and, and an error is going to occur. Right? So imagine that you have truck drivers with this tech or just airline say, pilots, yeah, or, right. et cetera, or factory workers, right? And we can tell where their fatigue is, right? Essentially, the more the reaction time happens, the more fatigue they're getting. Uh, and about 30 minutes before an accident can occur, we can identify that and let a person know, Hey, you need to take a break. Um, what? but, but the flip side to that, which I think is even cooler too is we can see when your brain needs a break What uh, as you're doing a normal work day. Right. Yeah. Uh, and what that means is that we can tell you to take five minute coffee breaks here and there throughout your day. And what's really cool is not only do you work more productively because of that, um, But then you actually finish the day and you don't feel burnt out, right? You actually feel accomplished. And imagine those days in your life where you've, you've hustled super hard and you've been really on task and you get to the end of the day and you still feel energized and happy, right? That's how productive a person can be if you don't burn them out. And the way you don't burn them out is you make sure that you provide breaks throughout the day for their body and to mentally recover, even small breaks, right? And so they actually get more done and feel excited and happy about their work and isn't that what you wish you could provide to everyone that you work with right
1: like that that's
0: how you know that's the type of company you would like to build people who love their work when they get done with it. right
1: that's another mind-boggling thing to even consider i it's like the doctor's note of the future i have to leave class i have to leave work look my app is telling me i'm not (laughs) lazy i gotta go yeah. I need a coffee break. Like, hey, I need a 5-minute break yeah. right now. Like I don't make the know? rules. My wearable does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many fascinating implications. Incredible stuff. Uh I, Yeah, I can't even get my head around it, but let's let's talk a little bit about maybe the company aspect of this. So, you sure. broke away in 2015, 2016. What was the next step? I saw you raise some uh some funding, you raised 2 million in the seed round. Um how did that process go about? Was that fairly easy, fairly difficult?
0: Yeah, I I think the seed round was probably the easiest.
1: Okay. Um
0: once we figured out how to do it. So it's actually kind of a funny story. We uh we had been fundraising for about 9 months and had gotten like $0. Okay. <laughs> And we we're like, "Yo, what's going on?" And somebody's like, "You need to leave Michigan. Like, Michigan is just not the place of fundraise. <laughs> you need to fundraise. Like, leave no one, no one here has any vision except for the university." It's oh
1: like, man, Michigan! And burn. It was like the
0: brutal truth that like I needed to hear. And then we went to Boston, and in two days we raised our first two million dollars. Like two that, days, and was like. And I mean, it's because the technology speaks for themselves, and and that's something that we pride ourselves a lot here at, at Neural, which is like we always do demos, right? Like um, the first demo we ever had, we used to put the it was originally the gel cap uh, on investors, and they would drive around a little car. Right? okay. the The fundraise after that, we had a virtual reality game where you could put on this this headset and essentially had telekinesis and had to uh, play an escape the room game, you know wow and and in the demos that I'm doing now, I'm using the the headphone form factor. So we're showing how with more data, uh, and capability, we're able to get a smaller form factors, but do even more incredible things. So with with the headphones, for example, right now, I'm showing them our analytics pipeline for predicting distractors. And then I'm also controlling the slide deck with the headphones. And there's like this crazy reveal where I'm like, by the way, here's my hands. Watch me switch these slides. No.
1: And,
0: you know, it's super cool. So. That's
1: Awesome. I,
0: okay, so that's so, how, that's how we do fundraising here. You know, it's like seems pretty make effective. it fun,
1: right? <laughs> but you know, here, I got another idea for you. This is the next step you got to do. So when you go All to right, your right? billion dollar thing, you have to uh, the billion dollar idea is you have to say I have to predict. You have to sit down in a room with a bunch of very rich people, and you have to say, "Gentlemen, ladies, here's my big reveal. I knew you were going to invest in my company before you even sat down." <laughs> I analyzed your brainwaves, and I could tell that you were going to invest a billion dollars before you ever walked into this room, and then just leave.
0: Just be like, that's why I sent you the headset.
1: Exactly. We've <laughs> analyzed the signal, and that's the case. So, you know, you can thank me later. It's uh, the ultimate power move. I'm looking forward to that working for you.
0: It doesn't even have to work. I just have no, to say it. Right? They just, because
1: they just have to believe that it's based on science. Like, well, shh. If he's looked into my brain, say, look, we can tell truckers before they're going to make an accident. And we can tell – we know when an investor is about to invest. (laughs) Or, like, you could also sometimes have somebody walk in and then just say, nah, go.
0: Yeah, right. But that's okay. Like, who cares, right? I knew it already. Yeah, I knew you weren't
1: going to invest. But I just want to, you know, have some coffee on your way out. Pleasure to meet you, Bob. See you later. (laughs) Uh, So cool. So 2017, you do a VR game. That was the game you're talking about called Awakening – that's the one yep. where they're an escape uh, room type thing. Exactly. All right. So you're using that. You're propelling forward 2019. You raised $6 million Series A to build the first headphone. Was that the first time that a headphone concept came into the picture?
0: For our company, yes. Uh, there's been other groups that have worked on around the ear form factors before, uh, including in-ear form factors. Once again, the, the issue that you get to when you get to that kind of form factor is that it becomes harder and harder to do something useful with it.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: and so we had, okay. we had bought a ton of different headphones and other types of systems out there. Uh, and the biggest issue is they just didn't really work very well. Uh, and so we partnered with a company that we knew made really good uh, software, uh, hardware for, for brain monitoring. Uh, and then we leveraged our signal processing. And that's where we got to with, with the current system that we have now.
1: So it's both. You've got to get this hardware amazing, and the software is obviously the core of what you do with that hardware.
0: Exactly. exactly. No. I think it's one of those like Apple quotes where it's like, we do hardware because we're a software company kind of moments. Right. You know? it's like,
1: <laughs> hey, I love yeah. Apple. I'm one of the fanboys. That's, you know, I'm Apple all the way. There you go. Same here. Not, not cool <laughs> to say, but it's just better. I th- can we say that? It's just better. I it mean, just it works. just works
0: better. It just and, works. And that's like core to like what we believe in. It's like it has to be seamless. Like we, right. we talk about it all the time. <laughs> it's like, you know, whenever we build these headphones, it's not good enough if unless we can see Apple like use it. You know, it's like yeah. it's so easy. You just open it up and you know how to use it automatically. If you don't, if it's if it's not that good, then we're not ready to launch it. And essentially. You're not there.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how do you feel about, there's so much competition from an audio. I'm an audio person, been an audio for my whole life. I love, you know, studio headphones. How do you feel about the audio quality? You know, that's probably the least of your worries, but (laughs) important to some. Yeah,
0: I mean, no, it's actually really important to a lot of people. We get this question all the time. So this is the definitive answer right here, right now. Boom, let's go. So the luckily we have really passionate audio people here. My right-hand person Jamie Alders uh worked at Bose for about 12 years. Ooh. Um and uh he was actually he actually built headphones in the early part of his career and eventually uh developed product there. Uh we also have another individual named Jordan who worked at Shure for about 10 years. Another so you know some some badasses like on audio here. Uh, we also have a lot of audiophiles and uh what I'll say is the following, we're, we're, we're shooting for premium audio. Luckily, okay. a lot of those components are actually, uh, are commodity at this point. A lot of people don't know that, but you can actually get the same components as some of the most high-end brands. Um, and that's why you see like knockoff brands that are like half the price, but they actually sound the same sometimes, wow. uh, because wow. a lot of that is commodity. And so we can't talk about, we can't disclose who we're using because once again, we're using these high-end brands that you typically see in really expensive headphones, um and if you want to see the audio quality yourself just come to our offices here in Boston and like we have a demo per- like like I said we pride ourselves with demos right so check out the audio yourself give us some feedback we'll we're tuning them more and more based off of feedback so
1: I would love to and I've never been to Boston it's a dream of mine to go um I know there's so many smart people there I've seen the social network I'm aware of what's <laughs> happening but you don't have an like, accent that's the thing and that's in Boston <laughs> Maybe you haven't well,
0: I grew up in Washington, so, you know, why. I didn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this, consider this your formal invitation to, to Boston to well, try I would, out our demos. I would love to, yes. To I know.
1: And I love the idea of an American city that has a bit of history. I've never For lived sure. in any part of America that had any more history than about 100 years, <laughs> which is also nice in its own way, but, you know, seeing something old or like, Here's John Harvard planting the flag or whatever. I don't know. There's <laughs> the Boston Tea Party. Um, all of those things. But yes, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. 2021. Next, next podcast. There, yeah, we'll, see, do it no, oh, be, we'll do, an we'll do it live.
0: We'll do it live at Neurable Offices.
1: That's great. It'll be like, uh, I'll be the next Marcus Brownlee. I'll be just reviewing the future of wearable <laughs> neural, uh, neural tech. It's awesome. There you go. So 2021, you became an honoree, Forbes, the next one thousand list. What did you do that was worse than nine hundred and ninety nine other people? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? No, what's the award?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't actually know if they're ranked that way, but you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go well, with you're it. at the bottom of the list. <laughs> uh, I guess you know. I'll just say we're we're potentially pre-revenue i don't know
1: (laughs) but what is that list what is it supposed to be just to future companies is that you personally or is that the company
0: it's, they basically select a thousand individuals that okay. they think, and companies, they're tied to the companies that they believe are going to be the next 1,000 companies that are going to change the world. Right. And so, it's a, you know, it's, we're really honored to be on that list. Yes. Uh, Adam Molnar is actually a Forbes 30 under 30. He's my co-founder. Cool. Uh, so we're, we're really, you know, honored to be on that list. It, it means a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously it was a selection of, of our peers and industry leaders who selected that. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's been an honor.
1: That's really incredible. And are you shooting for 40 under 40 yourself? <laughs> you got five years. You know, it'll happen <laughs> organically, you know. Yeah, I think it will. <laughs> I, I, I definitely will. I uh, think it will. So you've raised funding. You're obviously doing it. You're making big waves. Um, what, What's the next step for you? What's the next iteration? What, What can you tell us? Obviously, some of it is proprietary. You have a big reveal coming up, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, to, to us, we kind of see, like I said, the world evolving in, those, in, those, in that step that I, that I yeah, told you about. Right. So right now, our main goal is, you know, we're, we're establishing early partnerships with headphone and earbud makers because our tech works both in headphones and earbuds. Um, and then, you know, we foresee a future where in the next couple of years, the next version of headphones that you wear will have neurotech inside them. And then from there our goal is how do we make that software as seamless as possible? How do we remove any type of calibration step? How do you just grab the, the headphones and put them on right. and then they just work? Right. Uh, and we're, we're really close to getting there. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things that we do. Just, just to give you one example, you'll notice on these headphones that there's a ton of sensors everywhere. Right. 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 And the reason for that is not because we use all of them, but if you put the headphones on differently every wow. single time, then, you know, we still have a sensor that's picking up what we want, right? Uh, and so a lot of this has been design and like understanding how do how do humans use technology so that it's yeah. seamless for them. Uh, and I think we're we're really delivering that. Um, and you know we see OEMs also starting to react in a way that uh, you know I can't necessarily talk about the relationships, but I can definitely say that we're we're progressing forward in a really good pace.
1: Fantastic. Well, you talked about the different about mac steve jobs hardware because you're a software company so here is maybe a fork in the road or do you see yourself being apple in the sense that you're always going to have this hardware software combined in what you're selling that's the apple route or are you going to go the windows route where we're going to license this software and now in the future bose and apple and any headphone is going to have our tech built in
0: yeah, that's a really great question, and I guess what I would say is, it's it's probably going to be a new approach, you know, somewhere somewhere in between Microsoft and Apple, right? Um, and the reason I say that is because people buy headphones for different reasons, you know. For example, uh, a gamer will buy gamer headsets, right? A a person working at home will buy a headphone that that fits their lifestyle, right? Uh, an audiophile will will buy super high-end, you know, headphones from from a specific company that, you know, look crazy, right? Yes. Uh, And so it it doesn't really make sense to try to create a different company for every single one of those verticals that is part of our company, right? Like that's just, that's that's a huge behemoth, right? Right. But the best way to do it is to control parts of the hardware to make sure that the quality, the seamlessness is there for the customer uh, and make sure that we control the software Once again, for that seamlessness to be there for the customer. So many times people have been burnt by really crappy consumer brain-computer interface software and hardware that we want to change that trend. And so having a a specific type of control as to the quality of sensors, the positioning of sensors, and the software that's being used to give people that magical experience is what we care about. Uh, And then from there, whatever outer package you want to throw on to target the specific Group that you're targeting, that's that's up to the company.
1: So, like a system of required guidelines or operating, you say, okay, you must do this, you must implement this tech in such a way beyond that. Exactly. Whatever and that, you want that would to all top. be
0: part of the licensing agreement. Interesting. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. And so, what, what I mean by kind of a, a combined approach is like, yes, we're taking the, the license to, for scale and for people, kind of like Microsoft does. But at the same time, you know, it's same thing comes back. We do, you know, we do hardware because we're a software company, right? Yes. We have to make sure that, that it meets the expectations of our company.
1: Spotify, please play Led Zeppelin. Playing the Backyardigans. <laughs> Spotify, I said play Led Zeppelin.
0: I have analyzed your brain and determined that
1: what you really
0: want to hear is the Backyardigans.
1: Come on, Spotify, don't do this to me. I'm trying to look cool at a party. I don't want my friends to think I'm on TikTok all day. I have
0: analyzed your neural net and discovered that the would cause you displeasure. If you prefer, I can play Baby Shark again.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's enough, Spotify. God damn it, I'll never wear another piece of neurotechnology again. Introducing Brainiac from RP Corporation Global. Control your shit with your mind. Well, now the uh, giant elephant in the room, in every room when it comes to tech, privacy concerns. So if I Mm -hmm. search for songs on Spotify, Spotify knows what kinds of songs I like, and they recommend me NSYNC and Backstreet Boys every day because of that. It's a joke. -hmm. Um, No. (laughs) He took it totally seriously. I love it. It's great. I get Nicki Minaj all the time. Yeah, yeah, Nicki Minaj, <laughs> Billie Eilish, so high right now. Um, So that's after I'm typing something in. Obviously, all of that data is being used and exploited in ways that we can't even understand currently. Or, like you said, with Facebook, God knows what they're doing with all of our data. Now you have access to something <laughs> in our brain. Mm-hmm. So there's the volitional, I don't know the terminology, activity that I'm trying to do. And that's what's going to play the next Spotify song. But you're getting all of the unfiltered brain waves from my brain. So you're getting 90% of the other stuff. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying to do. What's the, I mean, there's obviously an inherent privacy concern there. What's, how should people yeah, feel about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that partially goes back to invasive versus non-invasive. Like with non-invasive, so non-surgical, you can only pick up really, high-level bits of information, yeah. right? Like, for example, are you stressed or are you not stressed, right? It's not like we can pick up the specific emotion that you're feeling and, like, you know, also all this other information. It's very, very crude information we can pick up. So there's already kind of a layer of safety just built into that by itself. Uh, but really, it comes down to the company. And, and, you know, in some areas like Facebook, it's, it's you know, that reputation isn't necessarily the strongest, Right. Right? And in other companies like Apple, for example, they care more about your privacy. Right. Right. And so because we are frontiersmen in the neurotech scene, we've made it a very core part of ourselves to make sure that privacy is is built into every single layer and step, uh, including user choice. Right. So we've written a lot of neuroethics articles and and we've we've been very, very strict with our stance that we're not going to sell your data. You know, we're not we're going to build apps that don't require your brain to make them work at a capability that is enjoyable to you. But if you do want to customize it and share and continue to help us build a great product, then like we're open to it and we're, we'll work with you and we'll make sure that we, we, we keep the data as private as possible. But I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing is, is will the company sell your data or not? Right. Because money, money is what corrupts, right? Money yes. is what says like this, we're going to use it for all these other things. Yes. And for us, Um, you know, the data is mainly going to be used to try to give people better experiences. Uh, and it's not something that we're planning to monetize outside, uh, to other parties and groups.
1: But if one day I'm listening to music and a Google ad pops up and it says, Hey buddy, you need some Valium. You've been real stressed lately. Talk to your doctor. (laughs) Then.
0: Then you're not using a durable (laughs) product.
1: That's the answer we like to hear. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Super, super cool. All right, so you've done some really incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, this is just beyond, beyond fascinating. Um, do you think this is something that you'll always be involved in? I mean, I know it's you're, you're young, there's plenty of time, but is this more of like a life's mission or is it just I want to build and sell this company? How do you see yourself growing?
0: Yeah, this is, I mean, this is my life's mission. You know, I've been doing it since I was eight, you know, and I've gone through significant ups and significant downs you know i've I've yeah I mean like I'm committed to this you know i've anybody that you can talk to will will tell you the same thing you know, and we've it it hasn't been an easy journey, but it I would never have changed whether I would have done it or not
1: fantastic, what was the worst moment since two thousand since it began? what was the
0: absolute worst moment I mean I think i you know looking back it's it's now pretty normal, you know, but like, that's only because entrepreneurship is so hard. You know, there was a moment where, you know, cash was running out. We were trying to balance like how we're going to take care of our team at the same time, extend runway and all this other stuff. I was, I was, uh, fundraising for months and you know the best sleep I got was red eye flights back once every three weeks to Boston. Oof. Like you know that's that's just how brutal it was. It's it's probably the the worst experience of my life that I never want to relive, yeah. right? Um, but uh, it, it was all worth it, especially for the team that we have here. Like they're just so incredible. They're they're really the ones to give credit to everything at this point. You know, it's like yeah, it started out with this this mission for me as a child. It, it went to the tech we built the University of, of Michigan, but everything has evolved so much in the last five years since we built the team out that they're wholly responsible. I, I give them full credit for everything. And as, as exciting as it is to wake up in the mornings because of the mission and because how exciting the future it is. And sometimes when we build some demos, it just like blows my absolute mind, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, the reason I come into work every single day, the reason that the blood pumps into my veins, the yeah. reason that everything matters is because of the team that I'm here with. And I'm just infinitely infinitely blessed to have them
1: that's such an awesome sentiment how how big is your team now
0: we have about uh, 12 people full-time okay uh about 20 people if you include some of the part-timers that's that's getting up there that's getting big <laughs> building <laughs> yeah, it's, your own uh, little it's, empire i like it you know it's so cool though they're all like such incredible nice people you know it's like wow i, I can't say enough good things about them well
1: you've described a handful of brilliant people already any one of which are pretty impressive on their own. So that, and that's three that you've covered, and you've got the Sure, the Bose, and uh, the doctor who, uh, or the professor or whatever who came under your. I mean, that's already a great start. Um, what's the most? We've gone to the negative side. What's the most heroic moment, or what is the proudest day in all of this?
0: Yeah, I mean, this might actually seem kind of uh, boring, but you know, I think I, you know, there was a CEO I was talking to once in the past. Uh, he was a mentor of mine. He told me the the proudest, you know, the happiest moment I ever had is when I took a step back and I realized that everything was working by itself, and that I could take myself out of the equation, and like it would be okay, right? And there was a moment like that. Actually, it was just a couple of weeks ago where I, where I I finally understood what he meant. You know, like I took a step back and I felt like. The culture here is amazing. The team here is so like incredible, you know, like uh, the technology is developing in ways that are years ahead of where I thought we were going to be. And it was just this like overjoyed moment where I I felt to myself, like, you know, I'm not fully responsible for everything that's here, but the fact that, you know, obviously the team is like 99% of it, but the fact that I could contribute 1% of like how, amazing it is to be here at at the company and and knowing that i was a part of that was just like this relieving and happy feeling and and i had never felt that level of euphoria in my life and it was like when you take a step back in life and you realize you know like where you're at and and it feels good it's a beautiful feeling
1: that is a beautiful feeling that sounds i'm getting goosebumps just hearing that that's incredible so to, on a day-to-day basis how fulfilled would you say you are 1 to 10 Every day.
0: Uh, you know, I don't, anybody who tells you 10, I think is going to be <laughs> lying to you.
1: <laughs> well, soon we'll be able to, I'll put on the headphones before I ask that question.
0: I'll, I'd say it's a solid eight or nine, you know, it's good. like, I'm working on what I love. I have an awesome team, you know, like uh, we're currently going out and doing fundraising because that happens all the time. So like, we're trying to close things up and it's moving forward really quickly. So things are in a really good place right now. Uh, so I feel really fulfilled with, with where I'm at. Um, you know, there's always issues that need to be solved. If there wasn't, I don't think there would ever be the position of a CEO. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, right. like, uh, and so that's, that's, you know, that's part of the job, but you know, I feel very fulfilled with, with everything.
1: That's so, so, so incredible. Um, Well, obviously there aren't too many people out there who have stayed the course since they were nine years old, tracked down a goal with, tunnel vision focus. So kudos to you for that automatically. That's just really incredible. What advice would you have for somebody who's younger or maybe not even younger, but somebody who wants to either get involved in your field or if they just want to make a difference with a company, broadly speaking, what advice would you have for them?
0: Yeah, I mean, what I would say is find your why. Like, I think, you know, everybody here at Nervable has a why they're working here for a particular reason, whether it's a, you know, um, a parent who was impacted In my case, it was my uncle, you know, or whether it was, you know, just like having this desire to, to build a prosthetic limb, like everybody here has their why. And, and it's such a different, not that there's anything wrong if you don't have a why, like there's some people that just want to work at a, you know, pharma company and come back home and hang out with their family. Right. But then their family is their why right? So like find your why and let that guide the rest of your life, right? Um, Your parents might tell you to go do something else. Like, don't listen to that. You know, just find what it is that makes you happy. There's there's not enough time. Life is both too long and too short for you to do something you don't want.
1: Well, that's a very nice sentiment to basically wrap this episode up. I can't thank you enough for your time. This is really mind-blowing stuff. I feel like I'm incredibly out of my element here but i love it this is where i, I love living in the future thinking about blade runner Mirror, all those t- types of things so this is really cool thank you very much for sitting with thank you a profound all mine a profoundly ignorant person and humoring him for an hour <laughs> um <laughs> i do want to open up the floor to you uh, for the end where can people support you or what action would you like our listeners to take to learn more
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I'll say before I answer that, though, is uh, you're playing a big part of this, too, getting the word out there. You know, it's like you're, you know, give yourself a a crap ton more credit because, you know, we couldn't be here without people who who get the message out there, who are creative, who I mean, it took work for you to find our company. Right. We're not. Neurotech is such a tiny place, like less than one percent of the world knows what Brain computer interface even is. I, so, we call it like,
1: BCI. We don't say brain. BCI. <laughs> I don't have time.
0: Now that, that now that you're part of the in group. Oh yeah, right? I'm part
1: of it, and I have I don't have any time to say those three words. So. But yes. you can
0: find me on uh, on LinkedIn on on Twitter. Um, you know, you can find the company on Twitter as well too. Reach out. We have a Discord channel uh, where we have over 2,500 people who are constantly active talking about brain tech, neurotech who come in for data collections that we hire from tons of students there. We do hackathons through there, et cetera. So just reach out to us. We're, we're very, we're very open company. um, And, you know, we're trying to build the future by building a community that's really interested.
1: Well, that's a great note to end it on. Thank you very much. Dr. Ramsey's Alcade, like arcade, but with an L
0: (laughs) co-founder and
1: CEO of Nurable, nurable Nurable.com. N-E-U-R-A-B-L-E.com. And with that, the official podcast is over.
0: Awesome, thanks so much, that was amazing.
1: Well, my headphones have just told me that my brain exploded. So many profound things from that interview. So many things that are hard for all of us to wrap our head around, but I have a feeling when we actually do those demos, we're going to incorporate his technology into our daily lives soon enough, and I can't wait to see what the future holds. Yes, it's a little scary, yes, it's a little unnerving, but it's also very necessary. And it's also especially necessary for people who might need these kinds of things more than others, profound implications for people with disabilities, and so much more. So he's clearly doing amazing work. Support the company, check out neurable.com. Also, if you like these kinds of stories, don't forget, Rate the podcast five stars, leave a favorable review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform of choice, and above all, share. Share these stories with people who might benefit from them. Share these stories with people who might need to hear about the Neurable technology. That's how we help grow this podcast and keep it running. Thank you for being a listener. I appreciate you more than you know, and I will see you next week.